Our scripture reading is from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it to, the me- proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Lord God, as we come before you and Just meditate on your word together. We ask that you would open uh, each one of us up to hear from you today. Uh, That we wouldn't simply uh, sit here and and just listen, but that the words that you have for us would go deep into who we are and that you would open us up uh, in vulnerable ways to be ready for you to speak into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 seems to be, in a lot of ways, where the, the story um, kind of finally gets good. I don't know, good in the sense of it's, it's been an enjoyable story, but now good things are actually finally happening. And it's taken us three chapters to get there. Uh, so that's exciting. But, but it makes me think, not just about this story in Scripture, but our own lives stories. Um, and, and the question that comes up in my head is if you were going to write or have someone else write your life story down uh, in a book or just on a single-sided piece of paper, however you want to do it, it's your story. Uh, if you're going to have somebody write down your life story, who would the main characters be? Uh, and, and even to the extent of who would, who would the main character Of course, if we watch a sitcom and it has the name of a comedian on it, we can kind of assume that, you know, Seinfeld's going to be the main character, right? Uh, And that tends to happen. But if somebody were to write your life story, uh, what would it look like? Who would be included? Who would be in there? I think, of course, we would have loved ones in there. If we're we're married, we'd have probably our, our husband or wife. They probably should make the story. Uh, That might be important. Uh, children, parents, uh, grandchildren, if you're that lucky. Um, close friends might make the cut. Um, but I think many of us would probably cast ourselves in the lead role. The whole story would revolve around us, our adventures, what we did, how we lived life, what we would do uh, all throughout life. And, and it's interesting when we come to the book of Jonah, which... Uh, is in some ways about the prophet Jonah, 
But Jonah does not appear, as we read this book, to be the main character by any stretch of our imaginations. Uh, As we read it, it seems to me that it reads as a story of what God is doing with Nineveh. What God is doing with this this city that God has looked out onto his world and, and he has seen injustice and he has seen tragedy and he has seen hurt and pain. And it's a story of God, a God that is going to do something about it. And Jonah is a supporting character. Jonah is this side character. He's God's prophet. God, God is getting him ready to go. Uh, we go on this strange side quest for a while where Jonah runs away, and, and, then, there's, and then there's the big fish and, and all that. You're familiar with the story, right? But, but this is kind of the side, the side story. But God is doing something uh, in the book of Jonah. And I think as long as we enter chapter 3 with that mindset in place, I think we're at a pretty good place. So this is God's story. Uh, Jonah is privileged enough to be a part of it Uh, in maybe the very same ways that we can look at our own lives and say, God is doing something bigger in our world, and maybe if we wrote our own story, it should be a story about a God that is active, a story about a God that is moving in the world, and, and maybe, just maybe, you're a supporting character. Now, hopefully that didn't sit too hard with you, because I know we're in America, and I know we love to be the center of our own stories. Uh, That's just kind of part of who we are. I think it's part of how we're wired. It's how we're raised since we were very little. We are uh, the center of these stories. But, But when we come to Scripture, that's not often what we see. We see this bigger story of God. And and these little places where God's people can kind of merge into that story and and live out parts of it. And then then they merge back out and the story continues. God's narrative continues. And and the main thing I think that's important with chapter 3, or or if you only got one thing out of this whole sermon and you're just like, okay, pastor, I'll give you two minutes. I'm going to shut off my ears. Uh, Don't shut off your ears yet. Hear this part. This is a story about what God is like. You're you're supposed to read this story and learn things about God. It's okay if you learn about Jonah, but you're learning about God right now and what kind of God we follow and what kind of God we worship. And and this God is beautifully shown to us in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. So I'm going to read that psalm for you. Again, Psalm 103, 8 through 12, we are learning about who God is. Verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now hopefully that sounds familiar. If you were people who were kind of the original audience of the book of Jonah, this would have sounded really familiar. This is one of the main Uh, ways that God is described in the Old Testament. This this psalm is almost perfectly quoted uh, something like eight times 
through the Old Testament. So I told you it was Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12, but I could have given you uh, seven other uh, scripture references to where this is said, because this is the core, this is a core of how they view God, of who this God is, and how this God interacts with his world. He will not always accuse. He will not always harbor his anger forever. He will not treat us as our sins deserve. And, it, and sometimes it makes us cry out, well, God, that doesn't seem just, <laughs> unless you're the sinner. Right? right? If, you, if you put yourself in a lofty position and you look at other people and you say, yeah, but God, they deserve what's coming to them. Um, but this is not who this God is. This is a God that loves them and loves you. And, and as you see him love uh, these other people, it actually opens your eyes to see just how much he has forgiven you, just how much he loves you. So again, we are in chapter 3 uh, of this sermon series called Jonah, the Runaway Prophet. Uh, and every week I've said that the book of Jonah is meant to be read uh, not just as information that we learn about the past or we learn about this prophet or even that we learn about God, uh, but there's a sense in every single chapter where, where you start to think that you understand Jonah or you start to think you understand the people he's preaching to. And as soon as you do, the book becomes a mirror instead and it shows you yourself. So you start to think to yourself early on, Jonah runs away from God and you think, a prophet? running away from God. This is ridiculous. This is his job. This is what he does. And, and he runs away. And as soon as you do, as soon as you judge Jonah yourself, all of a sudden the mirror turns on, right? And you realize, oh, I've run away from God before. I've done this many times. Why, why am I all of a sudden judging Jonah? It's like he's the easy character for you to, for you to pin all this stuff on, but then God turns it back at you. So this happens over and over again in the book of Jonah. So let's jump into chapter 3 here. Uh, this is verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So Jonah is now out of the belly of the beast, as we talked about last week. He is out of the big fish. He is on shore again. And the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Verse 2, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach to it the message I give you. So proclaim the message I give to you to the great city of Nineveh. And what is this message? This, we are told in chapter 1, verse 2, God said uh, in a more wordy way, he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Its wickedness has come up before me. So God, if you can imagine, is looking out over his world and God sees this great cause of wickedness. He sees this great cause of oppression, this cause of injustice, and it's, and it's coming from this city of Nineveh, this capital of the Assyrian Empire. And, and what does a just God do? What does a loving God do? God decides that he's going to do something about this. He's not just going to let this go on forever. So he sees, again, this wickedness and this oppression and this injustice. And God, in his love, says, I'm going to do something about that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my prophet there, my messenger. I'm going to send him there to go confront these Ninevites. 
talked about this more in week one of this series, but, but the Assyrian Empire at this point is the greatest empire, greatest as in size, greatest empire that the world had ever seen up to this point. And that's not just from Scripture. That, that there's historians that back that up also. And it has grown and has grown and it has grown through military might and through destroying their opponents and conquering everyone around them. And, and not only are they successful in these military campaigns, they are also notoriously brutal. Notoriously terrible. And again, just like talking about the empire itself, this is not just only in the Bible. We see examples of it in Scripture, uh, of the Assyrians being brutal, but also as, uh, as we're able to look through history and, and archaeology, they can see from different cultures including the Assyrians themselves, talking about themselves, showing examples of themselves, of the terrible things they did to their opposition. They ruled by fear, and they ruled by might, and, and they would do so in the most brutal and inhumane ways possible. And we are told here in Jonah that this level of injustice, that this level of brutality and sinfulness has come up before God. And God has taken notice, and God is going to do something about it. So if we are uh, the original audience of the book of Jonah, we would respond something like this. Yes, go get him, Jonah. Rain fire, rain brimstones. Do, do the Sodom and Gomorrah thing uh, that, that we read about already. Uh, uh, go get them, make them pay. For what they have done, these Assyrians, these Ninevites, they are terrible and we are powerless against them. But we know that our God is strong. We know that our God uh, has might and has power and, and God judge them. Judge them for the wickedness that they have done. Verse 3. Says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began going, and a day's journey into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. A few things stand out here. The first one is that Jonah obeyed God. Should not be shocking, right? This is God's prophet, but, but if we're paying attention to the story so far, this is so unlike Jonah's character, all along, that, that Jonah now obeys God, and sadly, we are shocked uh, that he chooses to do this. Uh, so Jonah obeys God, and he goes to Nineveh. We told that Nineveh is, is a great city, and great just means large uh, in this setting, so it, we're told that it's a very large city. Uh, and he goes there, and, and the population is massive. They're not all a part of this army. They're not all a part of this military uh, campaign. There's people from different walks of life. There's every profession. There's men, women, and children. This is a major city. Uh, many people believe it's, it's the largest city in the world at this point. So there's many, many people, uh, and they are not all as guilty as each other, uh, but they're all there, and they're all kind of part of this bigger system. And we are told that Jonah goes one day in, and he gives a five-word sermon in Hebrew. Don't count them. It's eight in English. In case you're all like checking up on me here. 
He gives a Hebrew five-word sermon one day in. Sorry, I'm past five words today. (laughs) Uh, So what does he say? What does Jonah say? He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's very short, uh, but what does it include? It includes a time period, 40 days. That's helpful information, right, to give them. It includes an event. Nineveh will be overthrown. And that's it. Again, this should strike us as odd. Something's happening here. Something worth paying attention to. What is he missing? See, this is the only time that we hear the message of a prophet in the Old Testament, and they often kind of cover certain things. So what is Jonah missing? Well, he is not answering the question of by who. Who is doing this? Who is going to overthrow them? Even is it going to be some conquering army that's going to come in? Maybe the Babylonians are going to come and wipe them out? Or... or Is it another nation, or is it like a fire and brimstone thing, or what's going on? There's no details here. He's not really helping the people out. There's not even a list of reasons why. And the prophets always have a list of reasons why. It just, in some ways, doesn't seem fair to not tell them why. Normally, it's a list of you've you've treated people this way, you've, you've oppressed These people, this is how you've treated widows and orphans. And because of this, this is going to happen. So we get none of that, and we actually strangely get no mention of God at all. By whose authority? Who who sent Jonah here? Who who brought him here? Maybe, Maybe they look at him, maybe he dresses like an Israelite, maybe they can hear in his accent. Uh, and assume what God they're talking about, but we're not even told in the text. Do they even know who this is that has sent them uh, this whole time? So it should beg the question in our own minds, and I think it's a healthy question to say, what is going on here? What is going on? And and I'll just give you, there's kind of biblical scholars, they think uh, one of three things. And people are split all over it, uh, Bible-believing Christians are split all over these three things. So if, you, if I explain them to you and you say, oh, I firmly believe one of these, uh, you're in good company. And if you believe another one, you're in good company. So don't worry about it too much. But here's the three options uh, that Bible experts think. One, they think that maybe Jonah said a lot more, but this is all that was written down. Possible. We got the Cliff Notes version of Jonah's sermon. Um, it's possible, it seems a little strange, because it doesn't happen in other places in the Old Testament. They don't seem worried about giving us a really short version of what the prophets say. Sometimes uh, it seems to go on and on and on uh, and tell us what the prophet is is telling the people or telling the king. So that's possible. Uh, The second one, and uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, is that maybe we find another example of people not living into their stereotypes in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah loves to do this. So so here you have a prophet, and what does the prophet do? The prophet runs away from God. That is not the prophet's stereotype, right? And, And this happens over and over again. So the prophet runs away, 
But then the pagan sailors who worship all sorts of other gods, uh, is, when a storm comes, the pagan sailors turn to the one true God and worship him. But the prophet is in the boat and the prophet is blind to what God is doing. So everyone is acting in the opposite of their stereotype. And, and again, here we have a prophet and he gives the world's shortest sermon. That is not the stereotype, right? You have a, you have a pastor, so to speak, and they give the world's shortest sermon. You'd be like, that was odd. That was different than what I expected. He, was, he stood up there and he said five words and then he left. That would strike you all as odd. Maybe I should have done it. Then you would have seen how odd that was. Later on, and hopefully this is not too much of a spoiler, it was already read for you, we have a wicked empire. And this wicked empire repents and turns back to God. Again, opposite of their stereotype, we have uh, a king of this empire, and this evil king, again, turns to God and doesn't lean on his own strength and his own might and his own control over his own people. And what does he do it after? He does it after a five-word sermon. It's not even preached to the king. It's just said in the streets of the city. And just think what it took for Jonah to repent. What has Jonah's, the prophet of God, what has his process been like? He has seen a storm. He has seen waves. He has seen scared sailors. He's been tossed overboard. He was sinking and sinking and sinking and sinking, and then he was swallowed by a big fish. But it only takes Nineveh and its king one day of bad preaching to turn back to God. So that's option number two. That, that, got, that the story is, is doing something with these stereotypes here. Very possible. And number three is, I think, at least worth thinking about, and that is Jonah may be engaged in a bit of prophetic sabotage, if you will. Meaning that we already know from Jonah's character that he does not want them to repent. Because he is already afraid that if they repent and they turn from their ways and they, they start following God, that God is the kind of God who will forgive them. And Jonah does not want that to happen. Jonah wants these Ninevites to be judged. So this, this theory goes that maybe Jonah did the bare minimum. Maybe Jonah walked one day in, gave a five-word sermon, Turned to God, says, fine, there, I did it. Can I go home now? Just judge them already. Wait till I get out of the city, you know, but, but wait till I leave the city and then just go ahead and judge them already and then I'll just go on my way home. And, and everyone will rejoice because these Ninevites were terrible. Jonah thinks the world will be a much better place without Ninevites. The biggest city in the world filled with many, many people, many, many people of many, many professions, people from all over, all walks of life, from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor. And Jonah thinks the world would be a much better place without any of them. 
Again, we get into the book of Jonah and we start to maybe figure him out and then God turns this mirror on sometimes. And we think, oh wait, are there people in this world that I think it would be a lot better if they weren't around? Is, is there groups of people, people in any place around our whole world that, that I think that I would rather have God judge them than forgive them? That I would find it good news somewhere inside of me that if God uh, rained fire down upon them, that that would be better news than if I heard that they turned to God and God forgave them. And that they started following God. And, and I think we want to quickly say no. And then we pause. And we reflect. And then somewhere at about 3 a.m. Uh, God keeps poking us. <laughs> and, and then we realize. Uh, maybe I'm not too far unlike Jonah. Now the sad part about this, this theory. Of the five word sermon is that it fits perfectly with Jonah's character so far in this book. But there's not much about it that you would read it and go, yeah, but he's a prophet. Why would he act like that? Well, we already know a lot about Jonah. <laughs> we already know a lot about how he runs away from God, how he's afraid of God's mercy, how he's afraid of God, uh, that, that God will forgive. Now, I'm not 100% sure on which one of these options this book has for you. So if you want answers uh, from the person standing up front, sorry. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. But I, I personally, I think the second one is a good guess, but maybe it's the third. Uh, the first one seems less likely to me. But I also think that biblical authors do this on purpose quite often. They'll say things, they'll do things that are intentionally a little bit vague because it's good writing. Like there's a, there's a sense, and if you leave it vague, what it does is now we start to think. Now we start to ponder. Now we dive deeper into the text to try to understand. So, so I don't think it's left uh, in an unclear way because it was not done exactly how it was meaning to be done. I think it's left unclear because it makes you think deeper. It's left unclear because it makes you dive in deeper to the text. Verse 5. And again, this should be amazing. Jonah gives his five-word sermon. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The Ninevites believed God. Not only did they hear Jonah, they knew that it, was a, that it was a message from God, and they believed God, and they started fasting, and they started wearing sackcloth. And fasting, you're probably a little more familiar with. It's kind of this symbolic uh, body language that, that you abstain from eating and, and some forms of drinking, and in a way to show that that you're serious to God in a way, in some ways, to make yourself intentionally uncomfortable. Uh, and in that uncomfortable, every time your stomach growls, you're, rem you're reminded uh, of, of pointing back to God uh, and, and pointing to Him. And wearing sackcloth, again, I don't think we do a whole lot. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't do a whole lot, but, 
what it is is wearing kind of almost like burlap as clothing. And you're not wearing like an undershirt. It's just burlap kind of stuff uh, against your body. It's made out of goat hair. Uh, and as you can imagine, it's very uncomfortable. And it's very itchy. And this isn't a world where you're like, you showered and got clean and then put on your burlap. It's your sweaty body. Right? You've been hiking on a hiking trail for three days, kind of body. Then you put on burlap. Sounds worse. Right? And, but again, this, the point is to kind of rid yourselves of all these distractions, all these things, this, the wealth and, and everything else. And again, from the greatest to the least, they all are, are eating the same now. They're all dressing the same now, and it's uncomfortable, and they're showing God that, that they mean business with their repenting, with their turning back to God, that they're not just saying it and then forgetting it. Their, their actions are following what they are doing. So they are fasting, they are praying, and they're wearing sackcloth uh, as clothing. Again, is this what you would expect the most evil city in the world to do? when a prophet comes and gives a five-word sermon. It is not. What should they do according to the stereotype? Well, in the most violent scenarios, they would hear this prophet speaking judgment upon them, and they would kill him right there in the streets. If they're really this evil, if they're really this terrible, they would probably do it in a very uncomfortable and terrible manner. They would make an example out of this person, and, and maybe if they were feeling generous, they would just arrest him. They, they, would, they would put him away somewhere where he couldn't bother the people. Um, but instead, they turned to God. And, and they turned to God in, in such a serious way. And, and it makes us think again, yeah, but what about the king? Right? I mean, the king has all the power here. The king has all the authority. Certainly not him. Certainly not the king, right? He's going to be so angry. What are his people doing? They are so distracted uh, by this foreign prophet that has come here and he's caused this disturbance. He's stirred up the people. And he probably needs to be dealt with. And if that sounds familiar in other places of Scripture, because it happens, <laughs> read the Gospels. You will see similar things. The people are stirred up. And, and this, this person that has come in needs to be dealt with. And the people in authority, they, they, they do what they think they need to do. And even if you back up in Scripture, what do you think Pharaoh, king of Egypt, would have done? Right? So what's the stereotype? And we read in verse 6, uh, that he's not going to live into it. Verse 6, when Jonah's, uh, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. And then he covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Jonah's warning has reached the king. Jonah didn't even go to the king. The prophets always go to the king. It's a good way to get things done. Jonah doesn't even go to the king. He's just in the streets. But his warning has reached the king. What does the king do? He, he stands up from his throne. Okay, we're in trouble now. The king stands up. Something bad's about to happen. 
He took off his robes. But then he humbles himself. He takes off his royal robes that show his position, show who he is, and he puts on sackcloth like everyone else. And he stays off of his throne. We're told that he sits down in the dust. Off of his throne. The king. This should strike you as odd. This should strike you as unbelievable. There's something that God is doing here. This has to be the work of God. Because this is clearly not the work of, of humans. This is not how we do things. And the king shows grief and regret and he humbles himself before God and he issues a decree in verse 7. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn away from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. These are the words of the king. Everyone, even the animals, are told to not eat. Again, this should strike you as odd. Maybe that's what this sermon should be called. This should strike you as odd. Even the animals are told not to eat. It's so extreme. He's so serious. He's so uh, into what is going on. And, and it's interesting because uh, there's something more, if I just double back for a minute here to this five-word sermon, there's something more, I think, going on here uh, than we originally see. So, so my version I'm reading here is the NIV. It says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So it uses this word, overthrown. Uh, most English translations, they say something like overthrown, or they might say destroyed. Uh, some say crushed, Nineveh will be crushed. But the Hebrew word here is a little more complicated than this. It's not quite this simple. And, and the reason being that overthrown is indeed a really good translation of that word. Overthrown is, is fine. But it also could be translated turned over. Or overturned. So at the same time, in the same sentence, Jonah is saying, whether he realizes it or not, Jonah is saying that Nineveh will be overthrown or that Nineveh will be turned over or flipped over or turned around. So what Jonah meant to say was that they would be destroyed. But what they did was turn over. And Jonah's prophecy is not even necessarily wrong. 
That's the interesting part. <laughs> that's the part that I find so fascinating. Is that Jonah says you're going to be overthrown, uh, but it also could be turned over. And here, their, their old ways are turned over. They, they stop following after these, these other things, and they've turned back to God or turned to God for the first time. And their life has done a 180. And their life has completely changed where they are. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring the destruction he had threatened. So God saw what they did and that they turned from their evil ways, and then he did not bring the destruction on them that he had threatened. This sounds like excellent news, unless you're Jonah. And again, the mirror keeps flipping on and off, right? So we learn about him, and then the mirror turns on, and, and, and it's great news, but Jonah is going to be so mad. And we think, Jonah, you fool, and then it turns back on again, right? And we think, what is going on in my own heart? when I view other people. We're going to talk about Jonah's reaction more next week, and I think uh, it's really important. Interestingly enough, it is uh, completely missing from one of the children's Bibles in my office. Um, they just skip it. It just ends right here. It's kind of a nice story if it ends right here. The people turn back. You know, Jonah runs away, changes his mind, he comes back. Uh, he was reluctant, but, he, he, but he's there now. He preaches this, this wonderful message. Uh, and actually, the children's Bible has more than five words. I thought that was interesting, too. Uh, and I like that version. <laughs> I, like, I like that children's Bible. But, but it doesn't even do a five-word sermon. Uh, he gives like a 20-word sermon in the children's Bible. Uh, and then the people turn to God. And it just ends. But, but I think sometimes that's how it does in our own minds, in our own memory, right? We're, we're kind of re-looking at Jonah with, with adult eyes, uh, a, a book that's often told to children. We're, we're looking at it again and rediscovering uh, what's going on. We're saving it from the vegetables, uh, if you will, if you, if you get my reference. A little veggie tail. Yes, thank you. Um, we're, we're kind of rescuing it from there and saying, okay, what does this mean to us now? Um, and Jonah's going to be so mad because God is so loving, because God is so forgiving, because God does not judge them as their sins deserve, because God does not look at them and, and crush them because what they have done in their oppression. So I'll end with this. God is the main character of this story. The whole point of this entire story is that you learn more about God. Not even that you learn more about Jonah. It's great. I mean, they could name the book God, but that would be so much of the Bible that it would be confusing. So they name it after the prophet, and that's fine. But the main character, the main one that is acting here, is this is God's story. God is doing something. God is revealing 
his heart. And it should make us question, among many things, it should make us question who the main, story, who the main character is in our own stories. Are, are you going through life, making decisions, turning from God, turning away from God, being pulled back to Him, and, and it's like you think when the book is written at the end that you're going to be the star of the show. And that anyone would even want to read that. <laughs> Not that you need to think down upon yourselves, but, but there's a better story happening in, in your life, and you get to be a part of it. There's a better story happening in the world, a story that we get to merge into and be a part of, and someday, and someday we won't. Someday we'll merge back out, but the story will continue. And, and to live into that, to live that kind of life is truly meaningful. It's truly special. It's truly something that's worthy of doing. So my prayer for you all is that you become a smaller part of your own story. Again, it sounds a little harsh, but that truly is my prayer, is that you come to realize, and I come to realize more and more, that, that this isn't the point. What, what you're doing later today, how, what, where you're going on vacation next, that th this is not the point of this entire story. That God is doing something, and God still calls his people to do things, and, and we get to be a smaller part of a much bigger story, but a story that is so worth giving your life to.